surrounding communities. It's 7 o'clock at night. That's right, 1900 hours. And you're listening to the Polo Sagero Show, where the heat is on and we educate our community through interviews with professionals. Alrighty, folks, welcome back for another episode of the Paul Salguero Show. We'll be here until 9 o'clock this evening. Uh, for the first portion of the show from 7 to 8, we will be talking with Marsha Szymanski uh, from the New Hope Incorporation to talk about kind of the services and resources that they provide to our community. And for the second half of the show, we're going to be talking with Dr. Uh, uh, Tanisha Pickney, talk about uh, mental health issues in our community what's currently being done, and uh, what's gonna, what, what can we do as a community uh, moving forward uh, to help the mental health uh, community. Uh, but prior to uh, the start of the show, there's, uh, you know, I like to kind of introduce uh, anniversaries and birthdays and whatnot, and uh, a longtime family friend of ours is Alan Elizabeth down in Florida. They're enjoying the nice weather while we get some, uh, some rain here. And uh, they, they're celebrating their 22nd uh, wedding anniversary and so I said you know what let me play um, a song for them which actually is their wedding song so prior to the show we're gonna play uh, Al and Elizabeth's uh, wedding song which is You and I by Eddie Rabbit so let's listen to the song and then we'll be right back with our interview already Just you and I Sharing our love together And I know in time We'll build the dreams we treasure We 
In order to accommodate working parents and school times, an unlikely story in Plainville will host a Sunday story time on the first Sunday of every month. Story time consists of a half hour of stories, songs, and a simple craft, and is recommended for ages two to six, but all story lovers are welcome. Registration will open one week before. Only children need to register. The next story time will take place on Sunday, October 7th at 11 a.m. and run until 11.30. To register for the event, you can visit their website at unlikelystory.com. Let's go inside the mind of a 10-year-old. I should have worn those earrings today. I like those earrings. Gabby has those awesome earrings. I need to ask her where she got those, but that's just what she would want me to do. I'll have Michaela ask her for me. Buckle up, Sarah. Yeah, but then Michaela will be like, why don't you just ask her yourself? That's just like Michaela. Sarah, buckle up. Michaela's such a great name. I wish I was called Michaela. There's like a dozen Sarahs in my class. Hey, we're not hitting the road until you buckle up, honey. Oh, yeah, seatbelt. I forget sometimes because my brain is, like, busy, you know? I wonder if there's pizza at school today. Sometimes it can be tough to get through to your kids, but it's not impossible. Always make sure they're wearing their seatbelts, even on short drives. Remember, you have the keys, you have the power. Never give up until they buckle up. A message from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Visit safercar.gov slash kidsbuckleup for more information. Are you one of the 30 million Americans who skip breakfast every day? We don't need to remind you that skipping breakfast can have a detrimental effect on your health. The Breakfast Place, located at 187 Pleasant Street, across from the Shell gas station, has been serving their customers meals made to order for over 30 years using vegetables from local farms and cage-free eggs. Owner Casey Darconti opens the Breakfast Place every day from 7 a.m. to 1 p.m. for breakfast and lunch. And for those on the go, all meals are available for takeout. Attleboro High School is rolling out the blue carpet for the community to showcase the many aspects of the student experience. This week, AACS airs AHS Back to School Night, a program designed to prepare students for the school year. You can watch this program and all of our quality programs from around the area in high definition on the AACS Roku channel. Welcome back, folks. This is the Paul Salguero Show from 7 to 9 o'clock. Today in studio, we have Marsha Szymanski from New Hope, and we will also have uh, Tanisha Pickney, Dr. Tanisha Pickney, for the second half. Um, prior to getting started, that was uh, You and I by Eddie Rabbit and uh, Crystal Gale going out to Alan Elizabeth, who are celebrating their 22nd anniversary, wedding anniversary. So congratulations, guys, and uh, I wish you the best and many more to come. Uh, also, for birthdays, tomorrow is my mother's birthday. So happy birthday, Mom. Um, for those who don't know, my mom's Maria Salguero. 
And uh, all right, so I got my anniversaries out of the way. I got the birthday out of the way. Um, so for our first for our first segment from seven to eight, we're going to talk with uh, Miss uh, uh, Marsha Szymanski from New Hope. Uh, Miss Szymanski, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Wonderful. So I figured. Um, the goal is to educate our community on specific topics through interviews, and I thought New Hope was a good organization to, sh- to kind of showcase, uh, to give a little bit of background about what the organization does, um, the resources that they have available to them, and just to kind of throw it out there for our community. So for those of our, for our listeners who may or may not know you, could you give us a little bit of uh, a background on yourself, a, br- a brief bio, and uh, like what you do for uh, New Hope? Mm-hmm. Okay, thanks. Happy to do so. So I am the executive director at New Hope, and I have been in this role for four years. Prior to that, I worked at a nonprofit in the Brockton area for about 18 years. And in that position, I oversaw and managed domestic and sexual violence programs as well. So while I'm new to New Hope, I've worked in the field for quite some time. Um, Prior to that, I've had a pretty varied career. I started my career in the for-profit world, and then I went into community organizing. I have a master's degree in social work from BU, and um, I don't know, I just burned out on the (laughs) for-profit world, and here I am in the nonprofit world where I'm very happy and love love working at New Hope. Awesome, wonderful. So I was, I I looked at the website and saw some of the services. Mm -hmm. Um, So could you, maybe let's talk about New Hope in general first, mm-hmm. kind of what the mission is, mm-hmm. the goal of New Hope, and then we'll get into some of the uh, services and resources that New Hope offers. Sure. Well, New Hope's been around actually next year 40 years, and wow. next year we're going to have a big 40-year gala. So I guess that's sort of bittersweet. It's sad that people have still needed our services after 40 years, yeah. but I think it's a tribute to the staff that we've been able to uh, support victims and survivors for 40 years. So we're really excited about that. We have a whole range of services. We like to think of New Hope as a full service um, domestic and sexual violence program. So we do everything from first, we have a 24-7 hotline that's always answered by a person and you never get a recording. So we have two domestic violence shelters where families who are fleeing from violence can reside. We have counseling offices in Taunton, Attleboro, Milford, and we're opening a new office in Southbridge, Mass, as of October 1. And then we also do uh, responses to sexual assaults at Morton Hospital and Sturdy Hospital. So when a survivor shows up at the emergency room uh, and they've been sexually assaulted, we have someone on call 24-7 to go and support the survivor uh, through the collection of the forensic evidence to make sure they get the support that they need, to hook them up with our counselors after the fact, to support the family as well, because that's a very traumatic time. We also have advocates in seven courthouses, including here in Attleboro, to help people with restraining orders. So if anyone out there would need a restraining order, they can just go and ask to speak to the New Hope Advocate at the Attleboro Courthouse. And then we also have in Attleboro and Taunton, as well as in Worcester, we work with folks who perpetrate violence. We have a program we call the RESPECT program, and that program is a 40-week psychoeducational group where it's not anger management, it's really about trying to help abusers understand and get to the root cause of why they believe this is acceptable behavior. So a lot of them are referred from probation, 
and some come and go, but we've had some really good successes through the RESPECT program. And the last thing that we do, and this is really just in the Worcester area, is we have a supervised visitation center so that non-custodial parents can come and visit with their children. We help them learn how to be better parents, teach them parenting skills, how to be more nurturing, and hopefully build that nurturing relationship with their children. Awesome. So. And uh, just because, we'll, we'll say it again at the mm -hmm. end, but just, just, just in case someone's listening now and maybe they don't hear the entire mm -hmm. uh, show, but what's the, the hotline number if somebody right. wanted to call? The hotline number is 1-800-323-4673. And those last three numbers spell HOPE, so 323-HOPE if that's easier to remember. Gotcha. The other thing, one last thing I forgot, I don't know why, uh, <laughs> we have a prevention education department so we work a lot with schools community groups uh, where we really just provide education really with the idea and the goal of preventing future violence and one other thing I should have had my list handy uh, we also have advocates in the Attleboro Police Department as well as a couple of other than North Attleboro Police Department where we follow up with every domestic and sexual violence call that they respond to. So we reach out to the victim. We try to make sure they know what they're uh, entitled to in terms of services. We try to hook them up to services. So Awesome. So uh, again, we're just going to kind of talk about some of the services that you guys offer. Maybe we'll go into a little mm -hmm. bit depth. Uh, what's kind of, what service do you think for New Hope is probably the most utilized? That's often mm -hmm. uh, people go to and they're like, all right, well, that's just used the most. Well, we get a lot of hotline calls, for yeah. sure. I would say last year we received almost 2,000, uh, I'm sorry, 3,400 wow. hotline calls. Wow. So we get, uh, and it seems, I'm sure it's not coincidental, that last year about this time when the whole Me Too movement started, mm -hmm. our hotline calls really spiked, and they've been pretty high ever since. So. And what's that process? Like someone calls... What's going to be, what's their experience going to mm -hmm. be like once mm -hmm. they, when they call that phone number? Well, when they first call, the first thing we always ask is if they're safe to talk. Because mm -hmm. sometimes people are calling, they may, they may be concerned that someone's going to walk in or someone's listening. So we always start with, are you safe to talk? And then we just, you know, what can we do for you? Asking them what it is they need. We can help them safety plan. So if they want to, if they're concerned about another violent episode erupting, we can help them think about how they're going to keep themselves safe through that situation. If they have a question, you know, they want to get a restraining order, they don't know what to do, or they need counseling. So whatever it is they have called us for, we try to respond to their needs. And then if they want services from New Hope, we will do a brief assessment. We'll have them come in and meet with a counselor or an advocate for an assessment. And then we will make sure they get plugged into services. Absolutely. And we try to respond to every request for services within two or three days. Awesome. And it's all confidential? All I'm confidential. No and there's no worry. charges. Yep. No and there's charges. No, it's all free of charge. Wonderful. Wonderful. And we don't take insurance, so nothing goes into someone's medical record. Oh, okay. Interesting. All right. Um, let's see. I'm just looking at some of the, the different uh, services that's offered to uh, I see here a safe plan advocates uh, right. stationed in seven districts uh, right. is that kind of we were talking about that's the, the, the court program the courts, the right court program. right so someone can go in when they go in for a restraining order we can help first explain the process we help them fill out the paperwork we can stand with them before the judge 
We can make sure that uh, if there's a concern about the abuser being there, we try to make sure that they can be shielded from the abuser. Um, oftentimes the restraining order is a 10-day temporary order and then they have to come back to get it granted permanently and that's oftentimes when the abuser may show up so we try to make sure that they're you know kept from the abuser and that they feel comfortable in terms of telling their story and speaking to the judge awesome so it's it's basically helping someone from A to Z exactly throughout the entire process right. they're not going to be alone right. and I want to say that we you know we try, and I think we do a great job at it, is that when someone comes in, yes, they're a survivor of domestic or sexual assault, but we treat the whole person. It's a whole, you know, we don't want, pe we don't think of someone as just this domestic violence person because people come, as I'm sure you know, with a myriad of issues. They come with housing issues, they come with job issues, they come with parenting issues. So it's really important to help them think about what, you know, the entirety of what's going on in their lives. So we've started some parenting, nurturing parenting groups for folks. We started this past year uh, a pilot program to help people understand more about financial literacy and understanding the importance of, you know, rebuilding your credit score, how to save money, how to open a bank account, how to balance a checkbook. Uh, just very basic things, so it's been great. Yeah, and that, that's that's I think important thing to tell is that it's not just if you have a domestic violence issue. It's if you just need help in general, mm -hmm. or uh, you know any advice. New Hope's kind of an outlet for mm -hmm. for someone mm -hmm. to go to. Right, and we recognize that there's the intersection of issues. So one of the things we're trying to do is reach out to populations that have been traditionally underserved. And we know domestic violence intersects with poverty, racism, homophobia, classism, ableism. We know that uh, trans people are at higher risk for abuse. We know that people with disabilities are at higher risk for abuse. We know that people of color are at higher risk for abuse. And, you know, so we are... You know, one of the things in our strategic plan is to really look at who are those people that we're missing, because not all folks will go to the police when there's a problem. Exactly. You know, there's a lot of folks, particularly immigrant populations right now, who may be fearful of going to the police, mm -hmm. but they need our services. Gotcha. Yeah, absolutely. And um, like I said, I think it's great that you guys are helping, like you said, the housing, uh, if someone needs help with the housing or whatnot, because it's... Um, I think not just in domestic violence, but other issues too, that it's multifaceted. There's Absolutely. a lot of different components that Absolutely. are involved in these issues. Um, all right, so let's see. Uh, like you said, the housing stabilization, that's what you were talking about, the finding stable housing, right? Right. Well, we, what we try to do with housing stabilization is if someone comes to us and they have been a victim of domestic violence, we have some pots of funding that we can help. Let's say their abuser ran up their credit card. So now they have a huge credit card bill. Their credit's been shot. Uh, we can help them pay down that credit card bill. If they need to get a car repaired to get to their job so they can continue working, we can help pay for that uh, car repair. Uh, first and last month's rent, if they want to move out and they found a new apartment. Uh, child care, if they need some child care services. So 
it's not a lot of money, but it is mm -hmm. funds that we can help survivors in terms of trying to rebuild their lives. Exactly. Are, are most of these uh, services uh, free of charge yes, for survivors? Yes, absolutely. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Alrighty, folks, we're in studio with Marsha uh, Simianski. We're talking uh, about New Hope, which is an organization um, the headquarters is in Attleboro yes, for New Hope. Yes. Okay, and the headquarters is in Attleboro, which is, you know, the they help uh, victims of domestic violence. But if you're also having different uh, issues around that, like we said, housing, or you need an advocate that helps you uh, from the entire process from A to Z, uh, with whether that be going to court or fil fil you know, filling out a restraining order for you know whatever it may be, they can help you the entire process. So we're gonna we're talking about those resources that they have. And then we'll probably talk a little bit about uh, maybe a, an encounter that they actually have, maybe a typical one, what it's like, and maybe a success story that we've had. So we're going to uh, – we'll take a quick break, and then when we come back, uh, we'll, t we'll talk more about the process someone goes through and maybe a success story. And then we'll, later on we'll talk about the events, upcoming events they, they are working on or certain projects that they're working on. So stick around. We'll be right back after these messages. On Saturday, September 29th, from 10.30 to 11.30 a.m., David Bliss, lifelong Attleboro resident and former owner of Bliss Brothers, will deliver a presentation on the Rehoboth Blisses titled Letters Home to Rehoboth, Bliss Family Genealogy and Civil War Letters. Mr. Bliss will read excerpts from letters written by his great-grandfather, Francis Abaya Bliss, who served in the Union Army Cavalry during the Civil War. The presentation will take place in the Balfour Room of the Attleboro Public Library. If you would like to register for the presentation, you can call 508-222-0157. Claudino's Auto Repair, located at 310 South Main Street in Attleboro, is celebrating 25 years in the auto and truck repair business. Over the years, John Claudino and his team of mechanics have worked to build a long-lasting rapport with their customers. From oil changes to diagnostics, transmissions, and routine maintenance on foreign and domestic cars and trucks, Claudino's will keep your vehicle running. Claudino's Auto Repair, 508-226-8545 or at claudinosautorepair.com. Um, hello, it's me, the designer jeans in your closet, the back of your closet. What am I doing here? Would you keep caviar in the back of your fridge with the ketchup and old milk? Yeah, I don't think so. So what happened to us? I mean, have you seen my label? I used to summer in the Hamptons and now I'm stuck behind a pair of sweats. Sure, I never really fit you quite right and one of my pockets is so small you can't even squeeze your hand into it. But it's all about the look. And I look good. I need to get back out on the scene so I can be seen. You know, going to fancy parties, getting expensive iced coffees, Sunday fun days, okay? So take me to Goodwill, where I can really make a difference. Your donations to Goodwill create new jobs, training programs, and education assistance for people in your community. To find your nearest donation center, go to goodwill.org. Donate stuff. Create jobs. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Alrighty, folks, we're back in studio the Paul Salguero Show. We'll be here until 9 o'clock. Uh, in studio right now from 7 to 8, uh, we will be talking to Marsha Szymanski, who is, uh, I'm sorry, it's the director mm -hmm. of New Hope. And then for the, se the second half, we will have uh, Dr. Uh, Tanisha Pickney. We'll talk about mental health issues in our community, what's going on, what can be done, and how we can move forward as a community together. Uh, but earlier we were talking about some of the, the source, uh, services and resources that are available to people that New Hope provides. Uh, but one thing I think I think is important to discuss is uh, counseling. Uh, 
that New Hope offers for individuals. So uh, let's say you have someone that comes into New Hope. Mm -hmm. They want to receive counseling mm -hmm. services. Uh, what's that process like for them? How, how can they start? What's mm -hmm. the process like during and kind of what's the after that mm -hmm. someone that receives counseling goes right, through? Right, right. Well, when someone either comes in or calls the hotline and they say that they're interested in counseling, as I mentioned earlier, we do a brief assessment. Uh, we always try to do a high-risk assessment with each client because there are certain things that are indicators of whether someone might be at a higher risk. For example, history of strangulation, are there guns in the home, does the abuser abuse drugs or alcohol? So there are certain things that we go through with each person who calls. Uh, after that, we would set up an appointment, and again, usually within three days, we try to get someone in for their first counseling appointment. They're assigned a counselor. We have a specialized child counselor, and then we have uh, three other counselors in the Attleboro office. We have, uh, soon we'll have two in Taunton. So then they can come in, you know, based on their schedule. We can set up a time for them to come in. We generally do 12 sessions. Uh, again, free of charge. And usually at the end, we, you know, the counselor will work with the client during that time to set up some goals, what it is they would like to work on while they're there. And then at the end, we usually do an evaluation to see if they feel like they're comfortable with that process. If they need a few more sessions, we do have some flexibility to give them a few more sessions, particularly when you're talking about adolescents, because sometimes with teens, it may take them a few sessions to even just build a rapport with a counselor. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to just say, okay, 12 sessions and you're done. Yeah. So, you know, we have some flexibility. And also with people with disabilities, sometimes that might take a few more sessions than just 12. So that's pretty much the process. Um, we saw 968 clients for wow. counseling last year. And in general, we saw, just to let the... Uh, listeners know last year New Hope worked with 419 clients from Attleboro. Wow. So that's not just the counseling. That could be restraining orders. That mm -hmm. could be folks in shelter. That could be yeah. uh, sane calls, sexual assault yeah. uh, responses. Actually, we responded to five sexual assaults at Sturdy last year. Wow. So, yeah. So 419 is just people that have received services from right. New Hope. Unduplicated clients. Wow. Right, right. Interesting. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Not I, wonderful. I'm saying yeah, wonderful yeah. that the New Hope's right. helping. Right. And 229 from North Attleboro, which wow. is pretty close. So Now, New Hope can help uh, anyone, right? You don't have to be from Attleboro. You don't have nope. to be from nope. North Attleboro. You can be to, from anywhere. Right. Awesome. Now, is there... Um, I think I think one thing that I thought would be nice to, to point out and give perspective to our listeners, too, is there a success story out there mm -hmm. that someone has gone to New Hope They've bettered their life because I, I think sometimes people may be, uh, I want to say cynical or pessimistic, but maybe, oh, I don't think they're going to help. They, you, know, you know, they might have that kind of mentality. Mm -hmm. So if you could talk a little bit about sure. uh, someone that's experienced this, used new hope and what their life is like right now. Sure. So we had one woman uh, who will remain anonymous, but she was married 15 years to her husband who was terribly abusive. And after the last incident, uh, the most recent incident of violence, she called New Hope, and she really wanted to think about leaving, but she had no idea how she was going to leave. She felt trapped. She felt like she couldn't do anything. She decided to enter our counseling program. She also decided she was going to get a restraining order from her husband uh, to, to 
get her husband out of the house. Mm -hmm. So we helped her first access some funds to change the locks on her house. Again, that's part of the housing stabilization. We also, because she had a dog that was very important and a, so a source of support to her, and the dog needed some veterinary uh, care, mm -hmm. we paid for the veterinary care so that she could have this source of support. And eventually, he was served with divorce papers, and she was able to break free of this situation. And not too long ago, she called us to share the news that she actually has accepted her dream job, which is wow. working in an animal shelter. And she's, you know, supporting herself, living violence-free. And it's just really a, a wonderful success story. That's and, awesome. Yeah, and I have to say that survivors are probably some of the most resilient people you will ever meet because they have learned how to survive through physical abuse, mental abuse, psychological abuse, financial abuse. Yeah. Um, there's a lot out there. Absolutely. And I wanted to kind of put this story because when we see in the news, and, and this bothers me too, whether it be war or, or any statistic mm -hmm. that we see, it bugs me because you'll throw a number out there mm -hmm. and sometimes people don't realize, you know, like you said, 419 was the number mm -hmm. and those are, pe those are real people. Exactly. It's 419 people. Right. And so uh, when you see the statistics, oh yeah, 419, like, that's 419 individual stories right. and exactly. experiences. Right. So that's why I kind of wanted to, to make sure we talked about a story because I think it makes the connection that this is real. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it, it's hard when you, you're sitting with someone and you're hearing a story. It's very different than a number. Yeah. So absolutely. But I will say that 419, that's individuals. But then you think about the people that are connected. Yeah. So that person you're sitting with may have children or mm -hmm. may have parents or siblings who are also impacted by what that person is going through. Yeah. So. And, and it's, and I think you touched upon it too. When you talked about home st stabilization, we're talking about funds to just access to change locks. Right. That's kind of, it's, uh, it's it a, sounds simple. It, it's exactly. And it, it's something that that's important that New Hope is helping through an entire process. It's right. not just, oh, we're going to counseling for you, but the little things, too, that they're helping you along the way with, exactly. I think, is really important, right. too. Well, I think that's part of, like, it's not just about counseling for domestic violence. It's what do you need to keep yourself safe? So we safety plan with everyone who calls, anyone who calls the hotline. You know, are you safe? What's going on? You know, are you, you know, a safety plan can be something as simple as, you know, is there a trusted person you can leave some important papers with yeah. or you can leave some money with? Or can you keep a bag packed somewhere that if you need to flee yeah. or if you're afraid that the abusers starting to get violent, you know, make sure you're not in a corner somewhere. You know, how do you keep yourself where you can get yeah. out if you need to? So. Yeah, I think that's really important. Can we talk a little bit about mm -hmm. that? A safety mm -hmm. plan? Because mm -hmm. I think... Uh, it's going to be unique to each person. Absolutely. And it's going to be very specific. So can we talk a little about what a safety plan is that New Hope provides mm -hmm. and what that entails? Right. Well, I think it really, again, depends on the client. So, and it depends on what's going on. I think it's easier for some than others. I mean, some people are living with abusers who control every penny. So mm -hmm. it's harder for them perhaps to put money away or to hide money somewhere. Um, I've heard of women hiding money in tampon boxes so that, you know, their husbands are not going to go in there and, yeah. and look at that. So uh, it could be something like I have a good friend and 
if I call you and I say the word uh, Dunkin' Donuts, that's your clue to yeah. come over because, or to call the police because that's a problem. So it could be a code word with a friend. It could be, again, making sure you have copies of papers handy, making sure that when you see that the abuser is starting to escalate because we know there's a cycle of exactly. violence yeah. that you either are able to get out or again make sure you're not trapped in the corner of a room somewhere that you you're closer to the door um, maybe it's making sure that uh, you know if there's guns around somehow yeah. they can get moved uh, mm -hmm. bu bullets can be taken out uh, you know, it's it's really individualized based on what the survivor can do, what they have access to. Um, yeah. C can we talk a little bit about the, the cycle? Because mm -hmm. I think, because when I was doing, uh, going for my bachelor's and my master's degree, we, I took specific courses mm -hmm. tailored to dom domestic violence. And we talked about that honeymoon phase and yes. all these different phases. Mm -hmm. And I think um, that'd be kind of important just because if we explain it, maybe it'll help someone say, hey, listen, I'm in this phase, and maybe um, could we just talk a little about the the cycle, kind of what mm -hmm. a, you know, uh, what a victim may encounter, mm -hmm. kind of mm -hmm. what that cycle is like. Right. Well, I think you started off with the honeymoon phase, and I think that's really where it starts. Everything's fine. Everything's wonderful. It's all roses, and and then slowly over time, it will build up, and the agitation and the abuser will build up, and it continues to escalate until there's an event. So it could be a physical event, it could be some verbal altercation, uh, and then after that, the abuser generally, you know, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do this, you know, uh, you know, it'll never happen again. They send flowers and candy, and so then that gets back to the honeymoon phase, and then it starts all over again. And over time, those phases get shorter and shorter, those cycles, so between mm -hmm. the honeymoon phase and the escalation gets shorter and shorter, and the abuse gets usually uh, stronger and stronger. Yeah, and, and I know uh, one thing I, I always think is important, too, is that abuse is not just physical. Exactly. You know, you have uh, mental, you know, emotional. It's just you have verbal abuse, physical abuse. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important to know, too, because, you know, it, sometimes people go, oh, it's, you know, jealousy means they, they, they like you. I'm like, nope, that's that's not right. <laughs> necessarily exactly. true. Exactly. You know? So I think I know um, that's something I, I heard growing up, too, uh, in school. People like, Oh, if if the you know if they're jealous, they'll they'll be uh, mm -hmm. you know, it means they like you. Go, that's not really accurate, <laughs> <laughs> you know. So it's, uh, but I want to talk a little about the cycle, just so if someone experiences and they'll see it too, like oh wait a minute, this is what they were, this is what they were talking about. Mm -hmm. So it's. Um, I think it's really important to know the, that cycle. So, well, alrighty, folks, we're in studio at Marsha Simiansky, we're uh, the director of New Hope here in Attleboro. We're talking about the services um, and resources that New Hope provides for our community. Uh, now, it's a lot, um, you know, if it's a victim of domestic violence, but they also help in different uh, parts, uh, home stabilization, uh, an advocate for you that will help you throughout the entire process, whether you're going to court. From A to Z, uh, if you need help filling out um, a restraining order, they help you with that. It's also if you're looking, you know, we talked about the success story where, you know, a woman had uh, a dog, too, and they helped throughout the entire process, money, 
developing funds for to change the locks in in their home. And so uh, we're talking about that. And then when we come back, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about uh, some of the current events that New Hope has going on, some of the current projects they're working on. And and how people can get involved? How can they can how they can help? How can they uh, volunteer? And uh, and yeah, so we'll talk about that, and then uh, we'll have we'll do our famous history question for the show. And so I'll stick around, and we'll be right back after these messages. On Friday, September twenty eighth at five o'clock p.m., the community is invited to a family friendly camping experience under the stars at Oak Knoll Wildlife Sanctuary. Participants will learn about camping equipment, learn map reading skills, and take part in a hike with nature education specialist Chris Hitchner. To register for the camping experience or to learn more, you can call Oak Knoll at 508-223-3060. All right, class, let's hear what everyone did this weekend. Jill? Well, I raised my older sister to a big oak tree. It was at least a hundred years old. My mom said I must have set a record or something. And then we went down by a stream and perched up on this huge rock and saw all of these little minnows swimming around way below us. And then I rescued my little brother from an evil slug king who was guarding him at the bush fortress. And my sister and I brought him back to our super twig for for safety. And then we all laid out and told stories until it got dark. And the Big Dipper led us all the way home. Where were you, Jill? Yeah. We went to the forest. It's not that far away. Anyone want to come this weekend? (laughs) Ask your parents to take you and your friends to the forest this week and find the fun, adventurous you. It's closer than you think. Check out discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. You sit down at your table. You get your card. 25 squares hold the key. Which one will it be? I-25, O-72, or Lucky B-13? Which one will be the square that makes you jump up and shout, Bingo! The Attleboro Elks Lodge, 1014, hosts Bingo each Sunday at 887 South Main Street. Open to the public, the kitchen opens at 5 p.m. with a variety of food available. Bingo starts at 6 p.m. Prizes are awarded and proceeds support Elks Charities. For further details, you can visit attleboroelks.org or you can call 508-222-5502. Remember, Elks Care, Elks Share. Alrighty, folks, we're back in studio. Masha Szymanski, we're talk, uh, the director of New Hope uh, in, here in Attleboro, that provides services for uh, victims of domestic violence or any, any type of, uh, you know, it's not just physical abuse, uh, verbal abuse. They, they help uh, survivors the entire process, whether it be helping, uh, you know, get funds for housing or, you know, helping them throughout the process of filing a restraining order. Uh, so we're in here st- studio talking about New Hope, and then for the second half we'll have Dr. Tanisha Pickney on, and we'll be talking about uh, mental health issues in the community, uh, what's being done, what can be done, and how as a community together we can try and help the, the mentally ill and just mental health uh, in general. So um, we talked about a success story, some of the, the cycle that, that goes on. Uh, could we t- let's talk about New Hope now and uh, current projects that's going on, current events. What's, uh, okay. what's New Hope's situation like right now? Mm-hmm. Well, I think we're in a good spot. We um, are growing quite a bit. We're actually going to be expanding some of our services in the Taunton area. And we're, as I mentioned, I think, to you before the show, we're going to be opening a new office in Southbridge, Mass., which is quite a hike from Attleboro, but uh, because we've seen just so much demand for services, uh, sad to say, but uh, at least people are reaching out, which we feel good about. 
The thing we're doing here in Attleboro right now is we've still been working, I think we're two years into the project of working with the ARC of Northern Bristol County to really look at building our capacity to work with folks who have developmental and intellectual disabilities. We're really trying to make sure, because as I mentioned earlier, that population is at much greater risk for domestic and sexual assault than the general public. And so we really want to make sure we can serve folks who have intellectual and developmental disabilities. So that's one big project we're working on. Of course, we're always trying to work on our prevention education to make sure we can get into schools, work with community groups, and not just a one-time deal, but how can we uh, pr provide more comprehensive education that focuses on individuals, families, the community level, and then the larger society level, because it has to be a multi-pronged approach when you're talking about prevention education. Absolutely. I think one of the challenges has been that the state funding, which is about 70% of our funds, is primarily targeted towards services for survivors, and there's very little funding for prevention. And mm -hmm. uh, it's really hard to really think about prevention. So one of the things I get a lot when I'm out in public is, well, you will never really end domestic violence. You know, it's always going to be around. And I always tell people, of course, Paulo, you're too young for this, but I always tell people there was a time when no one wore seatbelts. There was yeah, a time absolutely. when everybody smoked, and it yeah. wasn't such a big deal. And we changed those social norms, you know, yeah. through a lot of education, awareness, and there was a lot of money behind some of those movements to really get people to wear a seatbelt or get people to think about smoking and what it did. So I believe, I truly believe, that we can end this and we can make a difference. So um, Yeah, I, I agree because it, it's, you look at look how you you could smoke in restaurants before exactly now you can't you know yeah. <laughs> so it's it's definitely I, I i'm i'm with you i completely agree same thing mm -hmm. you know it's we were talking the other day a buddy of mine says oh you know because we we're talking about europe and you know you can drink alcohol in europe mm -hmm. at 18 he goes oh they should do it here I go guys it wouldn't happen i go it's, it's a whole different culture i go that takes a, a, a social norm but that takes a process to yes. you know it's not from day one to, to right. tomorrow and then all of a sudden it's different you right know? right so it's um and that's the changing social norms really does have to happen at individual, family, community, and then larger societies to, to make it happen. And it doesn't happen overnight. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Yeah. The other thing, uh, sort of not a project, but a fundraising event that we mm -hmm. have coming up, I just want to remind people on November 16th, which is a Friday evening at the Attleboro Elks, we have our Gourmet Guys. Yep. This is our 29th year, and it's actually our last Gourmet Guys, because next fall we're going to be doing our big 40th gala. So I know lots of people have come over the years to Gourmet Guys and have supported us, and it's been great. The community has been fabulous in supporting new hope at this event so uh, for those who have been chefs in the past and want to come back for a last hurrah we'd love to have you back for folks who want to come and just I don't know if you've ever been but the food is incredible I mean it's uh, let's talk about the gourmet what's that uh what's the fundraiser like what's what happens at it so if you've ever been to the Elks Club we set up what's called a pit and it's a large square, a rectangle actually, and men from the community volunteer to cook up their favorite dish. They bring it to the Elks Club and we sell tickets and people come and they get to go through the line and your plate, literally, you go through half the line and your plate is f overflowing with food. <laughs> I mean, it's just amazing. And we've had some folks who have 
been with us since the beginning. So Larry Kessler, who used to write for the Chronicle, mm -hmm. we have Bob Cohen uh, from I believe North Attleboro, who brings a whole contingent of what he calls the primal dogs. <laughs> um, so there's and, and there's just been a myriad of folks. We've had some politicians. Joe Kennedy's come at times. Uh, you know, we've had the mayor. We've had um, Tom Quinn, who's the DA. So yep. uh, it's just a great time. Then we have lots of silent auctions and raffle. And all of that money really supports our services here in Attleboro. Gotcha. That, that's what I was going to ask. The, the money raised uh, goes back into absolutely. New Hope. And, yep, and absolutely. Yep. Awesome. Absolutely. To the community here. Yeah. And, uh, oh, question. Because uh, I, I wrote it down. Uh, mm -hmm. The preventions, are, is New Hope in any school right now? Or is that something we, we, we are in schools? Yep, yeah, we are in schools. We're not in the Attleboro School, but we do work in Taunton. We do work in Foxborough. We've done work in Franklin. We actually work a lot with Wheaton College. We've been working with Wheaton for a long time around sexual assault okay. in particular. And if people check up our website, October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and we're having a vigil, candlelight vigil at Wheaton that's open to the public, and we'd love to have people come. Absolutely. And, I forget uh, the date. That's why I say check the website, <laughs> www.new-hope.org. Exactly. And, uh, it, again, just for our listeners, and uh, what's the, um, the hotline number, maybe some other uh, emails or mm -hmm. phone numbers that would mm -hmm. be helpful for right. them? Well, you can call the hotline at 1-800-323-4673. Uh, if our business number is one is 508-226-4015. But anyone in a crisis, really call that hotline. As I said at the beginning of the show, it's always live answer. There's no recording. Uh, we don't. You don't have to give your name. You don't have to give any information about yourself. You can only what, share what you're comfortable sharing. So yeah, and I think another important thing is uh, make sure you're safe. You know, we prior to uh, to calling, I think that's also an important thing. But you, again, call at any time. Um, oh yeah. Uh, so if we could, because uh, we're, we're going to wrap up a little mm -hmm. bit, is there anything you wanted to touch upon before we? Uh, yeah, I just want to say a couple of things. Uh, what can someone do? You know, we talk a lot about bystander intervention uh, in our prevention work. And I think one of the things that I would just challenge people to do is, one, if you're comfortable and you are a survivor and you're comfortable sharing your story, sometimes that does inspire others. Uh, but again, you have to be comfortable doing that. But the most obvious is to believe survivors when they disclose because too often they're not believed. And then reaching out. If you suspect someone may be in a domestic or sexual violence situation, reach out to them. Let them know that you care. Let them know that you're there for them. Uh, and then speaking out when someone makes a rape joke or someone's talking about domestic violence and making some you know, joke about hitting their partner or their spouse. Uh, let them know that's not acceptable. That's not funny, you know, particularly that goes a long way in terms of, you know, setting that cultural norm we were talking about. Um, and then, you know, New Hope always needs volunteers. So you can call our business line and say that you want to volunteer. We use volunteers quite a bit. So folks should uh, certainly can volunteer and come to Gourmet Guys. Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, so I'd like to ask again if we could, if you could talk to anyone from history and, uh, and ask them one question, who would you like to talk to and what would you want to ask them? I know. You s <laughs> that's kind of a, I don't know, my mind is blank here, but I think um, if I could talk to someone, I'd probably want to talk to Nelson Mandela. 
and just ask him how he was able through all those years in prison to come out with such a kind heart and to really not be so, you know, not consumed with hate or revenge. Like he came out with yeah. such a... That's a good one. Yeah, so <laughs> that's it. <laughs> that's a good one. And uh, um, again, what with the, the gourmet guys is November 16th, yep, right? It's a Friday is it night. open to everyone? Do they have to call or something? Uh, it's best to buy a ticket because they usually we usually sell out because there's only so much space yep. at the Elks Club. So oftentimes... Uh, We've had people buy at the door, but oftentimes we don't have tickets at the door because we're sold out. So if folks want to call the business line, again, 508-226-4015, we can hook them up with tickets. And I believe the price is the same. Last year was $30 for an adult and $20 for a senior and children. Awesome. Wonderful. Alrighty, folks, we're in, we were in studio. We just talked uh, with uh, Ms. Marsha uh, Simiansky, who was a director at New Hope here in Attleboro. They provide services for, uh, they provide tons of services, uh, like we said, prevention education. Um, they have the hotline. They have, uh, you know, they help you through the entire process, whatever you need, whether it be filling out a restraining order, the housing stabilization. They help uh, throughout the entire process, anything that someone uh, needs. And I'm just looking at my notes to make sure I covered every single thing that we wanted to here. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, I, I think it's a great organization. That's kind of what my goal was, to try and, uh, you know, uh, put these organizations out there that help a lot of people because it's, uh, I think it's really useful and it's, uh, I think it's beneficial for our community. So uh, again, uh, the website is www.new-hope.org. Okay. Mm -hmm. .org. (laughs) Alrighty folks. So that's going to wrap up our first interview. And for the second half, we will have Dr. Tanisha Pickney on. We're going to talk about the mental health in our community. Uh, What's the situation like right now? What's going on? Uh, What can be done? And uh, so, you know, we'll be, uh, if you want to learn more about mental health in, uh, in our community and what you can do to help, stick around. And uh, we'll be right back after these messages.
Listening to WARA, 1320 AM, Attleboro. Welcome to the AACS Daily News. The Attleboro Arts Museum works to provide space dedicated to showcasing the work of community artists. Attleboro resident and artist Missy Riley recently exhibited her work for the first time at the museum, and we spoke with her to learn more about her process. I live here in Attleboro, Mass, and I was very proud and excited to be invited to show my work at the Attleboro Arts Museum. This is the first time I have ever um, exhibited my work, and it's pretty exciting. I was an art teacher and an art major in college 40 years ago, but life got in the way of my personal artistic career, so it's been 40 years since college, since school, where I learned to paint, that I've started painting again. Um, so I've worked for about four years now painting, and I'm painting basically landscapes, not interested in realism. I'm more interested in an impression of the place. 
And if you can understand, I'm trying to let the paint itself tell the story in my paintings. So these are pretty, some pretty abstract, some pretty impressionistic, but here's my work. I'm pretty nervous sharing it with people because it is a personal thing. The clouds, you can be a little more abstract with a cloud and the cloud can really be any color. I made a couple of mistakes using some green, got into, intruded upon some of my clouds, some of my skies. But if you're abstract and you're just looking for feelings, green's a go. So I think because clouds are ever-changing and you can paint them any color. And the, the viewer too, which I want the viewer to interpret their paintings, they can look at it and recognize it as a cloud. It's up for the month of September. It's actually nerve-wracking and a little bit embarrassing because people, you know, can look at it and say, what the heck, you know, what is she doing? I don't know, I think a little bit nervous and a little bit embarrassed. But I guess, it, I guess this is what artists have to go through in sharing their work. The museum here in Attleboro is certainly a gem to have. The museum has allowed me to show my work, not only in the community gallery, but the last uh, three or four years, I've entered the member show, and I have actually sold work during the member show. I'm able to exhibit my work at the flower show, and I have a piece I'm dropping off next week for the art auction. So it's, it's a place for me. I mean, it focuses me. It's a place that I can exhibit. Um, I'm lucky being in Attleboro. And yeah, I mean, who does have a little community gallery that people from the community can exhibit in? That's it for today's update. For WACS News, I'm Austin Ricketts. The warm and humid weather for late September continues through about midnight, falling back through the 70s. Uh, one or two showers and thunderstorms right through 2 or 3 a.m. So you might be wakened in the night by a thunderstorm and a downpour. Temperatures by morning falling to 60 degrees, setting the stage for increasing sunshine tomorrow, a high in the mid-60s, becoming mostly cloudy tomorrow night in the 50s. And mostly cloudy skies, a little bit of spotty rain here and there. Doesn't look like a big storm, though, certainly. High temperatures in the low 60s. Right now, good news, sunshine, puffy clouds in the 60s on Saturday. And cool weather, Sunday morning in the 40s, sunshine about 60. Nice and invigorating on Sunday. For 1320 AM WARA, I'm Jim Corbin. Falls AC, 8 Stack Road in North Attleboro, supports high school sports in our community at every level. Opened in 1983, owner Angelo Cavalieri is proud of their 33 years of service to the Attleboros. Falls AC is open 7 days a week from 10 a.m. to 1 a.m. They have lunch and dinner daily, banquet rooms for your meeting or get-together, and dart leagues. The entire staff at Falls AC wishes the high school athletes the best of luck in every game. Falls AC, 8 Stack Road, North Attleboro, 508-695-2688.
Alrighty, folks, we're back in studio. Another episode of the Paula Salguero Show. We'll be here until 9 o'clock. Uh, earlier today, we were talking with uh, Marsha Staminski, who is the director of New Hope, and kind of showcased New Hope, kind of talked about the services and resources that they offer to our community. For the second half, we have Dr. Tanisha Pickney, who is a former advisor and uh, a professor of mine uh, when I was finishing up my, my bachelor's and my master's degree. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, mental health, kind of, and if... Uh, we run into different uh, criminal justice topics, we will. But for first, uh, Professor Pickney, thank you for coming in today. Glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me. My pleasure. How's it going? Busy? Very busy, as always. Um, a lot of advocacy work and a lot of bringing awareness to various issues. So I'm really excited to be here. Awesome. Cool. What are the, before we start, what are some of the projects uh, you're working on now? You had a, some, a meeting today, right? Yes, I'm on the Board of Trustees of the Worcester Recovery Center and Hospital. So um, that's, it. I don't know if you know about it, but it's a state-of-the-art institution and they're really doing some great things to not only um, help people recover and heal from mental health issues as well as drug addiction, but also to allow them to do it with dignity and a sense of self and purpose and really walk out equipped. So I'm really glad to be a part of that. Um, I'm also getting ready to uh, release a new book. Uh, it's called Foundations of Leadership and Influence for New and Emerging Leaders. So that should be out in a couple of weeks. So I'm excited about that. And of course, um, my other books that are already out, I Am More Surviving Survival and I Am More The Journey. Uh, I'm just Really, all everything that I do, whether it be domestic violence, sexual assault, mental health, fraud, examination, uh, training police officers for crisis intervention, everything that I do is really um, to support the community. Absolutely. And uh, so today's segment, we're going to talk a little about mental health. This uh, I kind of developed a passion for this during my college career and when I went into grad school because what amazed me was that the lack of training some police departments get and correction facilities get regarding mental health, that would kind of annoyed me and kind of motivated me more to advocate for this. And when I ran for state rep, that was one of my main issues I was running on was uh, bringing mental health awareness and training. Um, so, and I was reading, and I, you know, we talked about it a little bit earlier. Uh, there was an article in the, um, the Boston Globe that was talking about kind of uh, the staffing levels of uh, mentally mentally ill patients, uh, you know, being backlogged, and uh, just so I'll read a couple of these lines for our listeners, and uh, you know, and this is a quote from the Boston Globe. It said, uh, "Even as the state's numbers of beds have grown to 2,727, so has the number of patients coming to emergency rooms and mental health crises, rising 13 percent between 2011 and 2004 15. Why is the number of these patients increasing, basically? Is it uh, a labeling issue, or is it really just, uh, why is the number of patients increasing with, in, in these hospitals? My thought, um, one reason is very good. There's a lot more awareness, and there's a lot more, um, in some ways, stigma is reduced, for instance, in families and things where, hey, there's something not right, there's something going on. You know, it's not just the crazy member of the family that this yeah. person needs help. So some of the numbers are going to rise because of that. 
Um, the downside is there's also a lot more stress. Um, I don't know if you've heard of even anxiety due to social media. There's a lot more expectations, you know. Um, just society itself right now is there's a lot more turmoil. So people are being triggered by some of the things that are going on, you know, whether it be gun violence, whether it be uh, sexual violence, repressed memories, there's so many things that people are triggered by. So that's going to increase in numbers as well. Absolutely. All right, folks, we're going to, uh, I just wanted to touch upon a little bit because we're going to talk about this article uh, later on in our segment as well. And we're going to get more into uh, mental health in general because I just, but I want to let our listeners know that we will be talking about this article that was published in the Boston Globe. Uh, but we're in studio right now with Dr. Tanisha Pickney. Um, in our segment this from until nine o'clock we'll be talking about mental health what's going on in the community what is mental health what can be done and some of the issues that our communities face regarding uh, mental health awareness so stick around we'll be right back after these messages do 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 dr gary highlander will return to richard's memorial library for a series of lectures titled papers the series starts with the Federalist Papers on Thursday, October 4th. It will be followed by the Pumpkin Papers on Thursday, October 18th, and the Pentagon Papers on November 1st. All lectures will take place at 7 p.m. Registration is required to attend these lectures. If you'd like to register, you can email librarian Maggie Holmes at mholmes at salesinc.org. The average time a resume spends on an HR manager's desk is seven seconds, and most of them are tossed aside. Now imagine if one of those resumes belonged to Yasmin, who was living in a shelter, juggling three jobs. I had to be resilient. That's something that you can't teach. Or if that resume was from someone who worked 12 hour shifts at the recycling company with my dad, who's 72. That taught me a work ethic that I carry with me every day. We rely so much on a resume, yet it could never tell the full story of someone. Growing up where I did, a lot of things could have gotten in the way of my goals. But I learned to push through, and that's what I bring to work every day. So maybe it's time we look beyond the resume and look to grads of life. Discover new ways to develop great talent that are so much more than what's on paper at gradsoflife.org. A public service announcement brought to you by Grads of Life and the Ad Council. For over 47 years, Amigo Inc. has been offering services and programs for children and adults with autism spectrum disorders and other disabilities. Located at 33 Perry Avenue in Attleboro, Amigo has been committed to building vital relationships while expanding their community ties on the local level. Amigo provides day programs, transitional planning, and a continuum of services to support all ages. For more information, you can visit their website at amigoinc.com. Where does the funding come from for the many great causes and charities that leave a positive impact on the community? Join AACS this week as we showcase the Cultural Council Grant Writing Workshop, a presentation that shows how to begin the process of achieving your unfunded vision. 
You can watch this program and all of our quality programs from around the area in high definition at AACS.com. All right, folks, we're back on the air. This is the Paul Salguero Show. We'll be here until 9 o'clock. In studio right now, we have Dr. Tanisha Pickney. We're going to be talking about mental health in our community, what's going on, what can be done, some of the issues our community face. Uh, Dr. Pickney, first, what is mental health anyway? What's the exact definition? Has this definition changed over time? But right now, what is mental health defined as? The definition is different depending on the organization, honestly. It's a part of your overall health and wellness. Um, it includes your emotional health, your um, your attitude, how you handle things. It's a, it's a balance, mostly. And it's also addressing any, just like your physical health, just because there's illness doesn't mean you have to address it. So people ask me often, is mental health and are mental health and mental illness separate things? No, just like your physical health and your physical illness are not separate things. Um, It's a way of thinking of how we need to treat those with mental illness and also how to stay whole and take care of yourself. So that includes stress-free exercises and mindfulness and other things like that. So like I said, it's a part of your overall wellness. Absolutely. Now, um, like I said, I kind of gained a passion for this kind of throughout my college career. Um, But Right now, maybe some of the projects you're working on, or in just communities in general, what do you believe is the biggest challenging, the biggest challenge uh, involving mental health at the the local level? Uh, this is funny. I, I really like this question. Um, I'm on the board of directors of the National Alliance on Mental Illness for the state of Massachusetts, and this is a question that we discuss at every board meeting um, in one way or another. And the biggest challenge I see is disparity. Disparity in how various communities are treated. And I don't mean just communities of color or immigrant, but geographical communities, how they're treated, what they have, um, socioeconomic status, especially when it comes to homelessness and veterans. Um, That is one of the major issue. So it's definitely disparities is what I see as the greatest challenge. But, you know, with that additional line of those that are homeless and and our veterans. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting because when I when I go to Boston or any major city, you know, we'll see, you know, I know that it's a mental illness with someone on the street, how they're acting. But it's amazing when you see people that just oh that guy's crazy that guy's nuts you know i'm like guys that's like step back and think about it for a second you know right. and uh, i know i've seen that in the, some of the major cities i go to but why why is there a stigma around mental health how did it all begin why is there why does this even exist fear as humans as animals as creatures we fear anything we don't totally understand and there's also a sense of helplessness you know um for instance uh, i'm the one of my children have has a mental illness and you know if a child cuts their knee or scratches their knee you know to clean it put a band-aid on it you can see it you know what to do about it but if your child is telling you they're hearing voices in 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 his head you can't 
get to that. It, you you feel hopeless. You know, what do I do to help? Um, you know, there's stories of back in in history, Middle Ages, even beyond. You know, time BC times where people that exhibited some of these symptoms of voices or mental illness would actually have parts of their brain taken out or thought that they had spirits and try to get spirits out of them. So it's really from lack of understanding and the need to um, justify why, wait a minute, if other people, if this person has it, what if I get it? Mm-hmm. You know, so stigma a lot of times in any area, especially mental illness, is a way of separating ourselves and saying I'm different than that person. And that's I think it's one of the fears that are out there. What if people think I have a mental illness, even though one in four people do? Yeah. And it's interesting when you said people used to get parts of their brain taken out because I remember, remember reading um, there was a gentleman working and he, he got struck by a piece of metal and uh and so part of when, when it basically established the, the frontal lobotomy because when, when right. they realized his behavior changed, right. that's kind of how this happened. So then ev- eventually everyone just started saying, oh, that's the solution, frontal lobotomy. And it's like, no, that's really not the solution to, right. to every single uh, mental illness. And I'd like to transition, in, uh, transition into that. Is there, uh, you know, and it's, you know, you and I probably uh, would both agree, there's not really a one solution to mental health no and uh so i would like to talk a little bit about that kind of um is you know how much can medication really help a mental illness or maybe what can families and and individuals do uh and kind of what the kind of resources that are available out there to someone suffering with a, a mental illness medication can be in a very important tool um so anybody who might be listening that's on medication, stay on your medication, follow um, what your prescriber says. But it's only one tool. Mm-hmm. There's therapy. There, um, some people like to exercise. You know, there are many avenues and many tools for um, bringing that balance between mental illness to whether you call it recovery or coping or what have you. So medication is only one tool. With that said, a lot of therapy, whether you use medication or otherwise, is about how hard the individual will work their treatment plan. You know, that plan is how they can be productive in society, how they can work, how they can deal with whatever triggers. So it's an ongoing process, and no two people are alike. There is no one plan that fits every single person. So it's really about getting to know the team and the team, that person's team and family, really getting to know that person. So, um through the process, I know with my child, I, I probably know my son a lot more than parents without mental illnesses, bec- of children without mental illnesses, because of the constant assessment of needs and desires and wants and goals. And it also causes self-reflection as well. So 
Like you said, and I completely agree with you, there is no one solution. And sometimes the solution that might work initially might need to be tweaked or changed, just like with medication. So it's really an ongoing process toward mental health and either combating or stabilizing a mental illness. Absolutely. And, and for some of our listeners that are listening now or you know, after, or afterwards when we put on social media, what are some resources out there for families? or maybe some organizations uh, that, that specialize in helping those with uh, mental illness that someone could go to if they needed so? Um, they're different depending on the community, but de- definitely the National um, Alliance on Mental Illness. We have family to family. We have um, partnerships. We have very training, even training for helping family members that are veterans. Um, helping family, helping children who are going through mental illness. So we definitely have a lot of programming around supporting the family. But you have agencies like the bridge, you know, and don't give up on government agencies. I know there's a lot of forms and things like that, but definitely turn to Mass Health and the Department of Mental Health. All of there's plenty of services out there. You just have to be a good advocate for yourself. And um, anybody can also email me. And if they need direction, I can help direct them to any particular services in their area. I'm not a therapist, but I do help a lot of people um, toward getting services. And if they wanted to email you, how could they uh, get in touch with you? you? They can email me at Dr. Tony, so D-R-T-O-N-I at Declare, D-E-C-L-A, com. So Dr. Tony at declareiammore.com. Wonderful. And uh, we still have a, a few more minutes before our, our breaks, but let's, I'd like to ask a little bit, um, some more advice or tips that you would give a family uh, that's, they have someone in their, in their family that has a mental illness, or maybe they know someone with a men- mental illness. What are some of the advice and tips you'd give them? What has worked for you or what have... Um, what do you know works for, has worked for people in the past as well? Listen is my number one tip. That person is hurting. You know, that person is scared. Uh, that person might not understand what's going on. They might be facing issues with reality versus non-reality. Listen to them. Hear what they're saying. Don't pretend you know better than them. You know, you can't really advocate for someone unless you hear them and get to know them. Um, Involve them in the process, the decision-making process. Don't, you know, walk into the hospital and say, you know, he needs this, that, and the other, or she, she really needs to go into the hospital right now. Really be patient and make sure that individual has a strong say if possible and what their treatment plan will be because the more they can self-advocate the more i've seen they're likely to participate in the treatment plan and stick to it because they have something invested in it so those would be my major tips also, when it comes to reporting, if you have to call 911 because of a um, unsafe situation, please make sure you tell the 911 operator 
exactly what's going on, make sure you let the operator know that that person has a mental illness. Because just saying that will change the difference in how the police will respond. If you say, oh, this, you know, she's hitting me, she's going crazy, they might think, oh, this is somebody who is criminal. But if you say she has a mental illness, she's struggling right now, then they can come in and they definitely will respond differently. So give all the information you can. Yeah, and they will respond differently. And I also think they, they sometimes they have a crisis intervention team too that will respond right. specifically once they know uh, there's a mental illness present in that situation. Just, you know, because they know certain behaviors are caused due to that the illness so they know how to you know they work on their de-escalation tactics a lot differently exactly but, uh, all right wonderful Alrighty, folks we're in studio with dr tanisha pickney we're talking about mental health in our community issues that we face and uh, how we can go about it what what is mental health advice for those that are struggling right now or maybe you know someone that's struggling right now uh so we're going to take a break and then when we come back we're going to talk a little bit about this article that was in the boston globe uh about mentally ill patients and kind of the backlog that hospitals are facing, why it's, why has the numbers increased, what's going on. And so if you'd like to learn a little bit more about mental health, uh, stick around and uh, you'll learn something. So uh, we'll be right back after these messages. On Friday, September 28th at 5 o'clock p.m., the community is invited to a family-friendly camping experience under the stars at Oak Knoll Wildlife Sanctuary. Participants will learn about camping equipment, learn map reading skills, and take part in a hike with nature education specialist Chris Hitchner. To register for the camping experience or to learn more, you can call Oak Knoll at 508-223-3060. Staying at home, surrounded by family and friends, resting comfortably with your illness under control, and support for your family caregivers. That's what most Americans want at Life's End. Hospice can make it happen. With the help of hospice, patients and families alike can focus on what's most important, enjoying life together and living as fully as possible. Feel free to contact Community VNA Hospice at 508-222-0118. You can also visit communityvna.com for more information. Ranger Station, Ranger speaking. Hi, I'd like to report a bear hug. Uh, okay. Well, before I left my campsite, I was putting out my fire, and out of nowhere, Smokey Bear showed up and hugged me? So you drowned the fire, you stirred it, drowned it again, and felt that it was cold? Uh Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. He likes it when people correctly put out their campfires. He's pretty big on wildfire prevention. He's just letting you know you did good with a uh, hug. He's a hugger. I just got a bear hug from Smokey Bear. Status update! All right, I'm going to let you go now. I've got uh, a lot of uh, ranger stuff to do. There are many ways to start a fire, but one sure way to put it out. Learn how you can do your part at SmokeyBear.com. Only you can prevent wildfires. Sponsored by the U.S. Forest Service Ad Council and your state forester. Alrighty, folks, we're back on the air. This is the Paul Girl Show. In studio right now, we get, we're with uh, Dr. Tanisha Pickney. We're talking about mental health awareness, um, kind of what mental uh, health is, what families go through. And so for this, uh, at the 828, 830 o'clock segment, we're going to talk about an article that was posted, uh, uh, published on the Boston Globe, uh, which was titled, Long ER Waits Persist for Children in Mental Health Crises. And uh, this was something that, you know, we learned, you know, I learned uh, in school and then afterward, just from my own research, kind of, 
how important mental health really is in our communities, the families that are impacted by it. And uh, so I'd like to talk a little bit about that article. And for uh, our listeners who are maybe just tuning in or didn't hear, uh, I'll start with a quote from the article. And, and one of them says, um, let's go. I'll start with, from where I first started. It says, even as the state's number of beds have grown to 27, uh, 2,727, so has the number of patients coming to the emergency rooms in the mental health, mental health crises, rising 13% between 2011 and 2015. And for our listeners that are maybe just listening, uh, Dr. Pickney, why has this number increased? Why has the number of patients increased regarding mental health? In short, I believe it's two reasons. One, increased aware, uh, yeah, increased awareness, and that awareness will automatically yield more visits and more people who are seeking help or bringing family members that need help. Um, the other reason are the increased stressors and triggers in society, whether it be social media or workplace or just overall stress. Um, we're seeing so much violence that people are more triggered than they have been in some of the immediate past years. So it, it's kind of, I, I would ask, is it a is it a pro or a con that this number has increased? And it's probably like a double-edged sword. It really is. The awareness piece is definitely a positive thing because that means people who would have normally not gotten treatment, they are now getting treatment. So that means that reduction of stigma is working, that talking to families of immigrants and um, marginalized members of the community, uh, speaking at schools, all of these things, um, you know, are really doing what they're supposed to do and people are getting help. The other side of it is, of course, it's negative to say that that there are more people who need help because of the amount of triggers and whether it be fear of school shootings or being involved in them, um, whether it be a fear of uh, work anxiety, whatever is going on in a person's life could really be a triggering factor to lead to severe depression or um, bring about a, a paranoid episode or a psychotic episode. So it is difficult on both sides. Absolutely. And, and there's a, quite a bit of info in, in this article, but I'd like to uh, quote, send another quote, and, and that it, it begins like this. The backlog in emergency departments not only shows treatment for mentally ill patients, but it creates a stress for doctors and nurses who are generally not well trained to manage patients who might be psychotic, violent, or suicidal. More than 6,000 psychiatric patients a month arrive in emergency departments statewide. My question is this. Why... Is there not an emphasis on mental health training uh, for these professionals? Is, why is that? They're starting to do that. Um, I, there's several uh, medical schools that are starting where, you know, they have to do a psych rotation or they, they get advanced training. Um, same with police officers. Another thing that's necessary is stress management for the doctors and nurses and other hospital staff. So you could have a day where a uh, doctor or a nurse is struggling and then they get a psychotic patient. Another reason is even though some are trained, there is severe over understaffing. 
Um, the understaffing means that they can't really act or they, they don't have the time to respond necessarily the way that they were trained because they have so many people waiting. So it's, it's several things. It's not enough training. It's delayed training, not repeating the training, and also not getting the support that they need to be effective. Absolutely. And there's the reason why I brought up the training was because the, the, this article touches upon a few things. It also says, um, I'll, I'll quote it, quote, security guards strapped her son to a bed at one point. Staff did not employ special de-escalation tactic, uh, techniques uh, when her son acted out and did not seem to have training in caring for autistic teens, she said. This was an example um, that someone from North Reading uh, was a patient in the, the Globe put it in the, the paper. And, and you know what? It, it, it saddens me because I see tons of stories like this nationwide, mm-hmm. whether it's in a hospital or whether it's in um, a, a school. You see it all the time in schools. Now, is that... Again, does it all come back to training, or is there? Why is this happening so frequent throughout our country? I, you know, as an educator, I always believe part of it is training, um, especially when it comes to security guards. A lot of security guards, they're kind of given the area and the uniform and kind of told, you know to monitor the area. They're not really trained. They're not police officers in a lot of situations, so they're not really trained in how to respond. They're basically trained to um, to make things appear to be safe and to make things comfortable. So that's definitely an issue. Now, as far as a child in a hospital, that creates a very different dynamic because then it's, is it just a bad child? Because mm-hmm. some, some people just think, oh, if you have mental illness or not, you should know better. Yeah. But really, when a, when a autistic, a child on the autistic spectrum or a child that's facing severe psychosis or what have you, they really are not able to make the same decisions that they would normally make in their lives. So there's some, again, stigma there that, oh, you're acting out because you're being a bad kid rather than you're symptomatic right now. Yeah. So that's, you know, there needs to be training not only on how to deal with mental illness in general in these environments. There also needs to be training specifically for juvenile and adolescent um, symptom you know, yeah. symptoms. And, and I think part of it is too recognizing that behavior and, and knowing that it's correlated with an illness because, you know, I, I did a lot of research on the school to prison pipeline and mm-hmm. where you see a lot of students with ADHD or ADD and, uh, you know, they're being punished disproportionately just because sometimes it's their behavior caused by their illness ends up leading them to get kicked out of a classroom right. when, you know, I think that's another thing too. I, my, my personal opinion, I think uh, teachers – from K to 12 should also receive specialized training in uh, mental health and special education. Gonna, and recognize I would that. expand that. I think professors need training. I mean, it doesn't automatically stop once the child graduates from high school. When that child goes on to college, there aren't the same processes in place. There's no IEP. Mm-hmm. There's no state mandates other than the American Disability Act. There's nothing really to force a, a school to do certain things and to uh, support that child when they become an adult and are in the college setting. So I have been able to support a lot of my students simply because I know. 
But I really believe that there should be mental health training for educators and for school administrators and how to respond if someone acts out in the classroom, if they need to take frequent breaks and as such. That's very important. Absolutely. And what bothers me is almost how mental health has become uh, criminalized almost you know and that is uh i'll quote maybe people will understand a little bit more once once i quote this part but uh, the boston globe also reported uh they're talking about uh, these numbers and it says of the 155 patients referred to the state over four months more than half were under the age of 18. it took the department almost two days on average to find patients a spot in a psychiatric facility statewide data showed in a few cases it took nine to eleven days why why is it so hard? Is it just a lack of facilities out there? Because, you know, we hear a lot about um, almost p- people almost getting services after they're arrested because of something. Right. And when, you know, prior to that, it's, you, maybe you should get, get into a facility, which, you know, isn't necessarily criminalizing it. But why is it that it's so why, why is this backlog happening? Why is it so hard for, so, for someone with a mental illness to get help and get into a facility? Well, there are. You know, they, each hospital has earmarked certain number of beds toward helping those in psychiatric situations. So a lot of hospitals are decreasing that number of beds. So you have that issue. Um, you also have the length of time that it takes to do an evaluation. It's different depending on whether it's an adult or a child. Now, I am one of those parents who have sat, who sat in waiting rooms um, with my child or in a locked room where we don't have windows and I can't really leave because he's a minor and if I leave, then he's unattended. So we're stuck there in the same clothes we came in for days waiting for a bed and sometimes only to be transferred to another hospital because that hospital doesn't have a bed. So it's space, it's, it's time, it's evaluation, it's also what are the um, symptoms of the individual, how good the evaluator is. There's so many things that go into it, and also how much the patient is participating in the evaluation as well, in the assessment. You know, if they're, they could have been blatantly symptomatic and you can't miss it but if they get to the emergency room it's and they're sitting there still and they're not showing any outward symptoms it's hard to explain yes he's sitting still but he's hearing voices in his head so he's sitting still because he's in another world right now it's really hard to explain that so it does take time and it takes a lot of patience um what i learned to do was call around use the um the crisis team that can come to the house if you have something like Riverside or the bridge and uh, community health link, all of these different ones have um, crisis teams that can come out to the house and they can work with you sometimes to stay in your home and they'll check in every couple of hours while you wait for a bed. So it's it's very important to call those lines Absolutely. before going to the hospital. And uh, I, I asked this question too when we did uh, a segment on special education. As a parent, 
and, and I'll just tailor the question for mental health. But as a parent going through being a parent uh, involved with mental illness, what was one of the biggest challenges that you faced and how did you overcome that? What helped you along the way? Honestly, um, the biggest challenge was race. Um, those who haven't seen my picture, I am an African-American female, and it is definitely um, walking in and they see a child acting out. They don't know how many sets of letters I have behind my name, and I'm not a person that's going to put it out there and make, you know, and yeah. say it. They don't know what I've done for a living. They just see an African-American single mother coming in with a child that's acting out, especially if that child is escorted by the police. And to really have to fight to say, no, we're still sitting here. My child needs help. He needs services. And sometimes getting very snide remarks or getting substandard treatment has really been the biggest obstacle. And how did I overcome it? I became a strong advocate and really so that when I go into the hospital, I can say, you know, um, yes, yeah, sometimes I'm on the board of director of the National Alliance of Mental Illness on NAMI. And, you know, please, you know, help my child. And I've had to use that even with the school system, mm -hmm. you know, and it shouldn't be that I have to put out credentials or say what I do in order to get equal treatment and to get access to mental health care for my child. But that's what I find myself doing in a lot of times. And there are some areas that I just know it's not the best area and not the best hospital to take my child to. Absolutely. Alrighty, folks, we're in studio right now with Dr. Tanisha Pickney talking about mental health, trying to bring awareness to certain issues, what our community faces, uh, how we can proceed with it. We talked a little bit about the, the article in the Boston Globe about a backlog involving patients with mental illness in the hospitals. Um, so when we come back, we'll talk about some, maybe some current projects that Dr. Tinshaw Pickney is working on, what she actually does, and and then we could talk a little bit more how to how to contact her and whatnot. So if, you, uh, if you're interested in the topic, stick around, and we'll, uh, we'll be right back after these messages. In order to accommodate working parents and school times, an unlikely story in Plainville will host a Sunday story time on the first Sunday of every month. Story time consists of a half hour of stories, songs, and a simple craft, and is recommended for ages two to six, but all story lovers are welcome. Registration will open one week before. Only children need to register. The next story time will take place on Sunday, October 7th at 11 a.m. and run until 11.30. To register for the event, you can visit their website at unlikelystory.com. When I was little, I didn't talk for a long time. I liked things to always be the same. Anything new or different would scare and upset me. I was very sensitive to lights and sounds. It was almost like I had bigger eyes and ears than everyone else. So I built secret hiding places where nothing could get in. I didn't like looking people in the eye. It made me feel uncomfortable. I'd throw big tantrums over little things like when my socks didn't match. Sometimes I'd do the same things over and over. Until one day, I found out I had autism. My family got me help. Slowly, I learned how to live with it better. You can see signs of autism in children as young as 18 months. Early intervention can make a lifetime of difference. 
Learn the signs at AutismSpeaks.org slash signs. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Are you looking for more opportunity? The Literacy Center is here to help. We have free year-round classes in English, computer literacy, and high school equivalency. With the help of teachers and tutors, you can prepare for your citizenship test, make a resume, get ready for college, or learn how to speak better English. Classes held during the day, evening, or on Saturdays. View our website, theliteracycenter.com, or call 508-226-3603. The Literacy Center, building a better community. Already, folks, we're back in studio with Dr. Tanisha Pickney. Um, what was your uh, what were your, what was your question? What were you asking me? <laughs> I was asking you if there were any callers or if oh, anybody oh. wanted to call in. Uh, uh, if they can, they can. It's 508-222-1320. Uh, sometimes at this time, uh, you know, we, we never know who's really listening, but we always push everything out afterwards on social media. So it's kind of... Mm-hmm. Kind of set up like a podcast almost. Well, they can always reach me. I'm on social media too. So at Declare I Am More for Instagram. I am at I Am More for Twitter and Facebook slash I Am More for Facebook. Awesome. So we're in studio with Dr. Tanisha Pickney uh, and also her son, Devante uh, Pickney. And we're talking about mental health, uh, kind of trying to bring awareness to mental health. What's going on in the community? What can be done? Uh, we talked about the article that was in the Boston Globe talking about um, a backlog that patients are experiencing. But uh, so let's talk about, about, a little about what uh, Devante. What's up, man? Hi. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, so uh, what's going on? What do you uh, so you have uh, you actually have a company, right? Yes, it's called um, Jawborn Creations, uh, J A W B O R N E Creations, um, and I'm actually a photographer. Oh, cool! So, yeah. so is that what? Uh, so that Jawborn Creations, that's your photography. Yeah, uh, that's my uh, main business. It's also my um, Instagram is Jaw uh, Jawborn underscore Creates, and I do uh, fashion photography and um, just creative stuff. Um, that um, inspires me. Awesome, cool. Yeah, he did a great steampunk type um, photo shoot, like um, mermaids and all yeah. kinds, very creative. Awesome, cool. Yeah. So we're talking about uh, mental health in the community. I, I like to ask, what, what do you think is, uh, what irks you right now in the mental health community in terms of where we are with the current climate with, with mental health? Access to healthcare and access to providers. Um, there's just not enough providers. Um, also, there's not enough uh, bilingual or multilingual um, providers, not enough that are minorities. Um, we just really need more, more providers. So those of you that might be listening that are thinking about what do I do with my life, you know, think about going into psychology or social work or criminal justice or something like that uh, to be able to provide support because there's one thing we always, um, with NAMI, we're always advocating for, um, you know, equity when it comes to insurance and access. But if there's just not enough providers, then you have that gap in the community and you have long wait times, which could lead to increased um, hospitalizations. Absolutely. And I would like to say um, that there should also be really uh, a really good support system for the parents of people with mental health issues because I feel like it would be 
a great way to help not only the child um, indirectly by helping the parent because if they can release some of the stress when it comes to bills or when it comes to um, you know cost of living and things like that, mm-hmm. they would um, I think it would really improve the quality of life for the child and the parent. Yeah, respite. I'm glad you brought that up because respite is so important to families. The families with physical disabilities, a lot of times they get, you know, time where that person can go into a facility for two to three days and allow the caregiver to kind of take a breather. And a lot of times, especially if it's a mentally ill child, you just don't have that access. So, um, you know, it's parenting turned up 100 notches. So definitely need uh, more services and support. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's, it saddens me that here that it's always the services that need to be provided. And that's what I kind of like the premise of the show to be is kind of explain the services and resources that we have available right now that can help uh, uh, our community because I've been getting feedback from my friends and other family members and also um, people in the community said, so, you know, they go, I needed this show like five years ago <laughs> to really put the resources out there. And it's not it's not really, you know, advertising. It's kind of just saying, hey, this is available to you and, and your family if you, if you need it. But all right, what's um, what about you, Devante? Is there any uh, political issue or uh, topic that irks you? What's going on in the our, our world? <laughs> there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot. There's always something going on on the news. Every time you turn it on, there's uh, something going on in the White House. And um, there's, you hear it even going to class. I'm in college, so going to class is always, um, that's the first 10 minutes of class is discussing, you know, what happened in the news and stuff like that. And I take a philosophy and you just learn that everything that politicians say sometimes is just, not logical, <laughs> but it's interesting. So it's uh, sometimes it's the highest office. <laughs> <laughs> Subtle jab, boom. <laughs> you know? Well, he's used to laughter now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, all right. So uh, you also have a couple books that y- yes. that you've written. Yes. Uh, what are they called, and what are they about? Um, the newest one is. Uh, foundations of leadership for uh, leadership and influence for new and emerging leaders and I wrote that one because a lot of the leadership books that I read when I was first starting with leadership were so deep that I just wasn't there yet Mm -hmm. so I was looking for something that was a little bit deeper than a leadership for dummies type of book but not so over my head just kind of address me where I was so that's what that book is about and it does have a lot of advice for various from various leaders and CEOs of some companies Um, I am more surviving survival is a basically it's the story of my experiences with domestic violence and sexual assault over the years and what I learned from some of those experiences and advice that I give those that are either going through that, went through that, or supporting people who did. Um, I am more the journey um, is similar, 
but it's a workbook uh, f or a journal actually for those that are looking to go from, hey, I am a victim to being able to say I am more and to really look at themselves and see themselves as a facilitator of their future rather than a product of their past. And the other one, I can't think of the title, but it provides 15 tools. I do know that part. I, I, think, um, I think I know. It's um, get over it. I'm still going through it. Yes, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> I do a lot of writing. <laughs> um, get over it. I'm still going through it. And that one is a very short book, very inexpensive book. And it's basically to help people give themselves permission to experience their feelings, whether it's grief, because I've heard so many people, oh, you know, your husband died or your child's sick or you went through that. And it's like, oh, you're not over it yet. And it's, well, people are forced sometimes to act like they're over it and not really get the help or support their need or feel ashamed that they're still experiencing those feelings. So that one is just very brief chapters with some tools on how to give themselves permission to just get through it. Absolutely. And they can, uh, people can get that on your website or? On my website, on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. So there's plenty of places to get it. Awesome. Cool. All right. So we have uh, a couple more minutes before we wrap up. Is there anything uh, you guys want to mention that we didn't cover or something you guys are passionate about you want to talk about really quick before we get into uh, the last history question that I like to end our show on? Make sure you vote. If anybody is listening, please vote. Voting is so important. This, as we saw with previous elections, there is no uh, protest vote where you refuse to vote. You can't change things if you're not participating in the process. Absolutely. So that's really what my message right now. It's not about who you're voting for. Just participate in the process. And I, I am, I'm not one of those people to say, if you don't vote, I don't want to hear you complain. Mm -hmm. But really, that's how you change um, access to mental health. That's how you change uh, the disparities when it comes to the criminal justice system and so many other things is by participating. And we're starting to learn more and more that every vote does count and every voice has to be heard. So I don't, you know, if given that moment, I just want to get that across. Yeah, it, it's tough because, you know, we... we uh if I can talk, we read in the paper uh, locally here in Adelaide. Sometimes the the the, the popular the percentage of voters that came out was like eleven or ten percent, right? Or even fifteen, depending on if it's a special election or whether it's a, a general election. But I agree. I say get out there, vote, or even run. You know, if you feel like you can do a better job or you have something to advocate for, yeah, that's kind of how um, how I looked at it. Because when I ran, I said, you know what, win or lose, at least I'm advocating and getting these issues out there. Well, I hope you run again. <laughs> <laughs> one day. Hopefully one day we do again. So, uh, Devante, is there something uh, you'd like to let the com community know? Maybe, uh, you know, we talked about voting, but. I mean, uh, I mean, the situation with uh, Nike and Colin Kaepernick is yeah. really interesting. It's um, I've been talking about it with a few different people, and um I think I, I'm in full support of Nike, and I think that, um, you know, it was their choice to, they wanted somebody strong to represent their company and uh, stuff like that, and the fact that people, it's been such a big uproar about, you know, people being angry at a company and stuff like that, when you've had other companies endorse people who have, you know, 
had domestic violent situations in their past or have, you know, had done heinous crimes and stuff like that. But, you know, they still don't, they care. It's a moment of anger, but now people are burning sneakers and Nike apparel. As if Nike cares. Right. Right, (laughs) because they already spent the money. You already bought their product. You know what's interesting, and we've talked about it on Paul Healy's show, which is uh, another show here during uh, uh, 9 to 12. And, you know, Muhammad Ali got a lot of criticism when he spoke out against the Vietnam War. Mm -hmm. And look. What his legacy turned out to be. Exactly. He's a hero. That's so so true. it's going to be interesting to see how Colin Kaepernick, uh, how this situation with Nike is viewed 10 to 15, 20 years right. from now. Because, uh, in my opinion, I think it's going to be the same as what, uh, how Muhammad Ali turned yeah, out. Right. And so, uh, but all right, was, we're, we're going to wrap it up for in a couple minutes. But I'd like to ask if uh, we, we can, uh, I'll ask both of you, if you guys could talk to anyone from history and ask them, uh, one question, who would you guys want to talk to? What would you want to ask them? I'll let Devontae go first. Oh, man. So <laughs> Devontae's like, I'll let my mom go first. <laughs> <laughs> there's so many people I'd like to talk to. I mean, um, what I truly want to say, and it's going to sound crazy, but uh, I'm a big uh, hip-hop fan, so it would wanna, it would have to be uh, Biggie. <laughs> Biggie Smalls, let's go. <laughs> but, you know, I would just like to pick his brain about, you know, his process and, yeah. you know, it's – that would be a dream. So awesome. I guess that would be the person I want to talk to. The hip-hop lover in me loves that. <laughs> the professor in me just <laughs> rolls her eyes at you. Um, for me, it would be Langston Hughes. Um, for the similar reason, actually, really knowing his process. Um, there's one particular poem that I absolutely love, and it's called I Too. Um, and one of the stanzas is I Too Sing, sing America. And that it really talks about um, the desire to be included in the American conversation. And I would really love to just sit with him and pick his brain about his writing process and what his thoughts were um, when writing that. Absolutely. Alrighty, folks, that's going to do it for the Paul Saul Girl Show. Again, we'll be here next week, same time, 7 to 9 o'clock. Next week, we're going to have uh, former state representative and Professor John Lepper, who is uh, on the Commission uh, of Parents Raising Grandchildren. And for the second half of that, from 8 to 9, we're going to have uh, Attleboro City Councilor Todd Kobus uh, kind of give a city update, what it's like being a city councilor, what he does, uh, what's the current climate like in Attleboro, uh, you know, how people can get involved, what's going on. But uh, alrighty, folks, that's going to wrap it up. So we'll, again, we'll be here next week, 7 to 9 o'clock. And uh, so tune in, and we'll, be, we'll put this stuff out on social media afterwards. If you haven't heard for it, you'll, you'll get it in. So have a good night, everyone.